Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. I'm your co-host for today's show, Tommy Garrett. You can find myself over on Twitter, at Tommy Garrett PFN. And joining me today as we go over our second list of running backs, rounding out that top 24, is going to be my fellow fantasy football co-host and uh, analyst here at Pro Football Network, none other than Jason Katz. You can find over at Jason Katz 13 over on Twitter. Jason, it's been a while since I talked to my man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I was I was been uh, been absent for a little bit. Been off for for about a week or so. I was uh, attending a wedding up in Canada. Uh, so did you get any in trouble or anything? Did you no, maintain no trouble. Or what? It was it was a quick turnaround? I, I uh, okay. it was a little bit of a nightmare though because because uh, there was a there was some flight issues. Uh, Wednesday night I was supposed to fly up and the uh, flight got canceled about three hours. Oh, no, that's the worst. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't fun. Then I ended up having to fly up the following morning super early because I had to get there by noon. Uh, so I was operating like two hours sleep. But I mean, it, I, I had to get there. Super important. But man, that was that was a, it was a rough, a rough 12 hours or so. Yeah. Uh, who ended up uh, who was getting married? Uh, got just a couple, couple of my friends uh, that I've known for a long time. I was a groomsman in the wedding. Uh, but yeah, it was so it was it was it was a fun time. It was it was a it was a long day. The long oh, day. Shout out, shout out to the happy couple. It is uh it is wedding season. I'm seeing all the different rings and all the stuff getting thrown around. And I know my parents are just looking at me just with disappointed eyes because I haven't done the same thing. Uh but before we keep going into that and down that whole rabbit hole, let's dive into the running backs for today's show. If you guys are paying attention to the last one, we went over the running backs one through twelve in our rankings. Now this is a, a consensus between myself and with cats. It's not our own individual ones. You can find those over on ProFootballNetwork.com, obviously, too. Uh, so there's going to be some things that we definitely disagree on, some things we don't necessarily see eye to eye. No, nah, I'm not going to challenge them to a duel or anything. We're just going to talk it out like men right here on the podcast. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to start things off. I'll, I'll kind of run down like my top, my 13 through 24. We'll do yours also, too. And then we'll kind of talk about the consensus. So for me, um, you're looking Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Javante Williams coming in at 16, David Montgomery, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne all the way through, rounding out to number 20 with Antonio Gibson, followed by Brees Hall, Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, and Elijah Mitchell. That rounds up mine for you, Cats. You're looking at Saquon Barkley. You also have Javante Williams. You're going to notice a pattern here. going to be a lot of the same names, just with a couple spots different. We get to Nick Chubb, Dave Montgomery, Aaron Jones again, which I think will be interesting. We'll kind of get to here in a second because this is a, a topic we've hit on several different times this offseason. We're talking about that Green Bay Packers backfield, Cam Akers, and then speaking of the devil right here, A.J. Dillon comes in at 19, followed by Travis Etienne at 20, J.K. Dobbins at 21, Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson, and Devin Singletary wrap out the top 24. So what that gives us here is for us, Saquon Barkley comes in at number 13 in our preseason uh, 2022 rankings. And it's, I think Saquon Barkley is a very interesting case. It seems like people either love him or they love to hate him right now. It, very much so that he is still writing on what he did at a, as a rookie. I think that's the biggest thing we talk about his upside. We see the conversations. It's what he did as a rookie was, was sensational. Then he comes back into, into 2020 um and struggles all after year obviously tears his ACL misses most listed the rest of 2020 and then we get into 2021 where he's just not the same so it's we're not drafting Saquon Barkley based off anything we've seen in recent history so for you cats I know for me I don't view Saquon Barkley as injury prone I view him more as just being unlucky 
why are you kind of with me in this situation? We're like, I think we're both higher on Saquon Barkley, but I think we're looking at it through two different lenses, but I think we're both realistic in what the potential outcome is. So kind of give us your thoughts right now on Saquon Barkley for the upcoming 2022 season. I think it's fair to say that Barkley is one of the most difficult players for me to assess. I guess in full disclosure, when I opened my rankings, when I first did them, and again, of course, doing these things right after the NFL draft, very different time. But when I first did of my course. rankings, I had him all the way down to 22. And I I didn't just bump him up to 13 overnight. It was it was a, a slow, steady climb as I just thought about it a little more. And I'm still lower than, yeah. than we're both still lower than, than plenty of people out there who, who still view him as that top, top six, top seven type guy. And that's, of course, because we, we know the upside is there. We know that the ceiling for Saquon Barkley is overall RB1. But the reason I have some concerns is it's it's I agree with you that he's been unlucky, that that the injuries are not some sort of systematic problem with Saquon Barkley in the the way he plays. These aren't soft tissue injuries like a hamstring or something. It's a recurring issue like the guy tore his ACL and the year before that, when a play was over after he missed target. He steps on a Cowboys defender's ankle, Cowboys defender's foot, and his ankle swells up like a beach ball, and he came back too soon. Like to me, that's not injury prone. That's just being unlucky. Correct. However, my position is, I think that the injuries, which are a product of bad luck, may have sapped Barkley's explosiveness, and his explosiveness is everything for him. Because the reality is, it's the key of his we, game. We, we may love him as a player, but. He's never really been that efficient. He's been a guy that kind of his, his vision has been suspect at times. I mean, there was one play last year I remember where I watched him. It was a Trent Richardson like failure to cut, where there was a, just a clear hole on the inside, and he just tried to bounce it outside and just completely just he had four yards for free and he, and, and he took negative two. And and it, I know that's one example, but we've seen that before when in his Barkley game. When Barkley is feeling it, when he's feeling it, he's one of the best at second level manipulation. He's so good at reading that next level and cutting it. But when he's not at all, the wheels just fall off. Because this is also a guy who loves being able to hit the outside because he's always had the capability to. So to your point, if you're talking about explosiveness, that's taking another element out of his game. Exactly. And we've seen too many games from a player who's supposed to be too good where he's had, I mean, remember in 2019, he had a game with 13 carries for one yard. Like that, that should never happen. He had a game with 14 carries for 28 yards. Uh, he had a, another game where he had 15 carries for 32 yards last year, 11 carries for 30 yards. I, I mean, there's too many of these games where it's not just inefficient. Like we, we've seen Derrick Henry have, have 25 carries for like 72 yards. That's inefficient. But we're talking about numbers where where he's just he's he's not even producing fantasy RB three numbers because mm-hmm. he's just that inefficient. And my concern is you combine that with the injuries and the fact that he's on a bad team and a team that I don't think is going to be much better despite how much everyone believes in Brian Dable. The reality is Daniel Jones is just not good. Okay. And he's not going to suddenly be good because he got a coach there who's good. His skills aren't going to suddenly get better. I don't believe in Daniel Jones. I'm surprised he's even the starting quarterback this season, but uh, he may not be for, for long. That, that, that's, that's a conversation for a later date. And exactly. I, I, I worry about Barkley's floor here because yeah, of course, Things break right overall RB one, sure that's possible. At the same time, he could be he could be like the RB twenty five this year. He could be the RB thirty, and if you take that in the third round, uh, that's going to be a real problematic. Uh, so I think I know that thirteen is a really high ranking for a guy that I'm kind of criticizing, uh, but it's just it's very tough, and we're going to see how how we both feel as the summer progresses, and if and if we if we start leaning one way or the other. Yeah, I, I think the key number here it's it's eighteen of forty three. 
41.8%. That's how many games Saquon Barkley has missed over the last two seasons. If you think he stays healthy in the third round, which is somewhere we have never been able to draft Saquon Barkley, I think he'd absolutely be a value. I, I think the biggest part here is if we see what happens in some Brian Dable offense where it's going to be the increase in the the target volume. Because that's what we've never seen since, honestly, kind of since Eli Manning. And the games when you play with Eli Manning, he was averaging 5.2, uh, 2.5 receptions per game. Without Eli, it's dropped down to 3.5. Now, Grant, I will take 3.6 targets. I'm sorry, 3.6 receptions per game on five targets a game. Those are great numbers across the rest of the NFL. That's an 85 target average if math serves me correctly. But is that going to happen? We'll find out. I know for me personally, I look at Saquon Barkley. He's a guy who's extremely talented. There's no competition in his backfield. Honestly, I think uh, Jay Sean Corbin, the UDFA out of Florida State, has just as good of a chance to be the number two behind him as anyone else. The old line has improved uh, to a certain extent. I, I agree with you. It's not going to be a great team. But the, if I'm going to bet on Saquon Barkley to finally be healthy, which to me explains that you kind of talked about his 2020 season. I'm sorry, the 2019 season where he really struggled. Like when he came back, I think he came back too soon from a high ankle sprain. Like he said it himself. Um, and I, I know if you talked yourself too about the, how, how many weeks a high ankle sprain takes to recover. Like if you take eight weeks for when it happens for the rest right. of that year, he was averaging 108 yards per game from weeks 13 through 17. So for me, that was the last time we saw a healthy Saquon Barkley was weeks 13, weeks 13 through 17 of 2020. And then that early part of the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, of the 2019 season. And then we saw that early part of the 2020 season where he was looking okay, nothing spectacular. And like I say, he tore his Achilles. I'm sorry, he tore his um, ACL four plays into the season against Chicago back in 2020. So it's, I think the bounce back opportunity is there. I think the value is there for St. Claude Barkley, but I agree with you in that that's, he's probably going to have the widest range of outcomes for someone being drafted inside those top three rounds. It kind of is what it is, but I think the value is, is most certainly there if it does. So we're going to move here to number 14. And I'm going to kind of let you talk about this one because I think we're probably going to hit on both of these guys during the same conversation here. And that's going to be right now with Aaron Jones coming in at number 14 for us. The de facto RB1, maybe on the depth chart, but it's more, way more of an RB1A, RB1B situation in, in Green Bay. So I know you are very much high on uh, AJ Dillon, but that does not necessarily mean you are low on Aaron Jones, correct? Sort of. I mean, I think based on where I have Aaron Jones ranked, anyone who plays fantasy would consider me low on Aaron Jones. But to be clear, he's in that high end RB2, low end RB1 range. I think that's completely fair. I I I think so too, and that's why I have him there. Uh, and, and, I, and this is why clear, this is one of those things like it's don't always care about rankings. Group players together in tiers. That's one of the things I always say too. Like, don't get caught up in like player A versus player B, one versus one. Got, grab guys in tiers. And that's where Aaron Jones is always going to kind of be in the same range. Yeah. And I love Aaron Jones, the player. I think he's tremendously talented. And Aaron 100%. Jones has, he, he, he is, he has the talent and skill to be the overall RB1 if he got the, the type of volume of the players who, who typically are in the, in the top two or three every year. My concern with Aaron Jones is that it's not going to happen. And I need to, I'm going to focus on the narrative we've seen in the fantasy community and everyone about why every, why so many people are high on Aaron Jones. And the argument is that without Devontae Adams, uh, Aaron Jones has typically been used heavily as a receiver. And the, the, the stats support this. In 59 games with Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones has averaged 14.9 fantasy points per game. In eight games without him, 22.9. Why? 
because of the passing game usage. 3.4 targets in games uh, per game without, sorry, 3.4 targets per game in games with Adams, 5.9 targets per game without Devontae Adams. That's Here's a big gap. Yeah, and, and when we discussed this uh, previously, uh, and my, my position is this. In each and every one of those eight games, the Packers did not know they were not going to have Devontae Adams. Their plan for the mm. season was to throw to Devontae Adams. It makes sense to play it safe and throw to your very talented pass-catching running back rather than thrust an unproven, untrustworthy wide receiver into a more prominent role. I mean, think about last year. What are they going to do when Devontae Adams doesn't play? Are they going to feature Amari Rodgers and Juwan Winfrey? Or are they going to say, you know what, for one game, let's just let's just use Aaron Jones like a, like a pseudo-receiver and, and, and we'll, we'll make do. But now they have an entire offseason where they know Devontae Adams isn't there. They know their wide receivers are are largely unproven when, you, when you've got Alan Lazard taking over as the one. You've got a rookie in Christian Watson. You've got Randall Cobb, hopefully having a little bit of a better year. And got a, just a medley of guys where there's nobody that you're truly trusting. Do you, do you throw to those guys or do you throw to Aaron Jones? And the fantasy community consensus seems to be that it's going to be Aaron Jones. And my, my thinking is it's going to be the wide receivers because throwing to wide receivers is always better than throwing to running backs as long as those receivers are capable enough. And they have six months to get those receivers capable. And I think they're going to do that. And my concern is we're going to see Aaron Jones' receiving role maybe take up a little bit, but it'll be offset significantly by the the uh, significant amount of rushes that he's going to lose and the goal line touches he's going to lose to A.J. Dillon. And that's my primary concern is I think the touchdowns, touchdown upside is severely limited due to A.J. Dillon. And that's why I'm a little bit down on Aaron Jones. Yeah. I mean, the story of Aaron Jones was always efficiency. It was efficiency with touches. That's kind of always been the thing with him. We know he's going to get plenty of opportunities. I mean, even last year when they still had Devonta Adams on this team, right? He was 29th in receiving yards. He was 19th uh, in receptions, um, 39th in total yards. We look at the opportunities. He was 15th in opportunity in snap share, 14th in opportunities, 18th in weighted opportunities. He was 15th in routes per game, running 18.3 routes per game. There's a good chance we see that increase, but I, I I completely understand what you're saying about the potential lack of those red zone carries, which is something that A.J. Dillon already led this team in last year, despite not really taking that role over for the second half. Um, I, I don't think it's anything like against Aaron Jones, but I think the value more than likely, A.J. Dillon at his ADP is more than likely going to be a better value on draft day than Aaron Jones, although the higher likelihood to finish number one at the end of the season will more than likely fall towards Aaron Jones than A.J. Dillon, correct? That I will agree with. Okay, there we go. Um, is there anything you want to also just add on top of A.J. Dillon? Because he's not far off in these rankings while we're talking about the team. Do you want to bring anything up on him right now? Yeah, I'll throw in a little bit about Dillon just because you have him ranked low enough that he actually doesn't show up in our in our top uh, in our top 24 yeah, I here. Actually, I have A.J. Dillon for me personally. He is my RB25. And for you, this is one, this is one of our biggest discrepancies because for you, he is RB nineteen, right? So he would eventually show up. At, he's like in that twenty four, twenty five range. So just to make sure we get him in here. And, and since we're on the topic, one of the reasons I love AJ Dillon is because I'm projecting him to lead this team in carries and dominate goal line rushes. When I say dominate, I mean like not not just like oh you know he gets the majority of them. No, no, no. I think that he is going to have like eighty five percent of the goal line carries, like like that type of massive uh, edge over Aaron Jones. From weeks one through nine last season, Jones was the clear back. Dylan was just his backup. Mm. Despite that, over the season, Dylan still had more red zone rushes than Aaron Jones. 41 and, to 33. Uh, right. 
And then from from uh, over the final seven weeks of the season, specifically, Dylan out-touched Jones in the red zone 17-5. to five. And that's the type of shift that we're looking at there. When you say 17-5, to five, that's, that's 77%. And I think it's only going to grow this year as they move toward Dylan Moore as their primary rusher, especially since I think we agree on this, Aaron Jones is probably not going to be there next season. No, I don't think he is too. Uh, there's no guarantee money on his contract or anything like that. To me, this very much seems like the the final year for Aaron Jones still there in Green Bay. I was surprised he kind of came back after they had already brought in A.J. Dillon, but he re-signed his money, got his money, got paid, which is something that running backs are having a harder and harder time pulling off uh, in today's modern NFL and the way that the, the money is being allocated. But I do agree with you. I think this will be the last year for Aaron Jones. And quite frankly, if any of you play Dynasty this year, the running back market between this time and next year is going to change so much. If you've got running backs that you think are going to be in competition, if they are those guys already in committees who might be a high-end number two on their teams, get ready to move them because this thing is going to be moving and shaking like crazy. Aaron Jones, Zeke, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. That's not even talking about bringing in B. John Robinson, Tank Bigsby, Sean Tucker, um, Zach Charbonnet. Like all those kind of guys, like the running back position is going to change a lot, but at least you're going to have at least one more year of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. I think both being hyper productive players for the Green Bay Packers. We're going to move on here now to number 15 in our running back rankings. And this is what a lot of people consider to be the best one, two punch in the backfield in the NFL. Although I think that might be up for debate. Uh, we're going to move on to Nick Chubb with the Cleveland Browns. Um, Chubb, he is arguably one of the best pure running backs in the NFL. I think it's pretty safe to say he's a guy who could rattle off 100 yards at any point in his career. Average over 15.2 fantasy points per game throughout his career, and it's the consistency that makes him special. Only once throughout his time in the NFL was Chubb failed to hit 1,000 yards in the ground, and that was in his rookie campaign when he missed by just four yards. Since then, he's averaged 1,273 yards per season despite averaging just 14 games a year because of a couple injuries here and there, while also sharing the backfield with a guy who'd probably be a starter on most teams in Kareem Hunt. Um, they've got a very good combination here with how these two guys like to play with each other. In those 27 games together, Chubb is still the number one, averaging 15.3 PPR points per game on 16.9 attempts and 87.2 total yards. So I think there's there's always going to be a role for Nick Chubb in this offense. This will always be a team that is built around the running back. However, will that be the case in 2022? I don't know. I would love to give you guys an answer because if I did that, that means we had a resolution to this whole Deshaun Watson fiasco that, my God, I am just so sick and tired of talking about. I'm so sick of it. Tired of it. I wish we had something else, but right now we don't. If Deshaun Watson is playing quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in 2022, I don't think we see quite as massive of a touch share going to these running backs. You're not paying Deshaun Watson a ton of money, although not really in 2022, to be your quarterback just to run the ball. But if we're looking at a Jacoby Brissett or a Baker Mayfield under center, then I think we see Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt, when they're on the field, they will by far be one of the most active running back duos in the NFL. But for me right now, Nick Chubb's role in these rankings is kind of a bit of a placeholder until we get a better idea what's going to happen in Cleveland. Give me your thoughts on this one, Katz. I've I love Nick Chubb as a running back, but I've just never been on yeah. him for fantasy because because he's just constantly overrated. Because fantasy analysts just love 
to prop up Chubb's rushing ability and his ability as an NFL player, which is incredible. I mean, if I'm drafting running backs in terms oh, of the NFL, yeah. it's their pure running ability. Who knows? I might even take Chubb first. He's that good at running the football. But in, but in fantasy football, we need our running backs to catch passes. And Nick Chubb does not do that. He had a 6.3% target share last season. And whether it's Watson or Brissett, they throw to running backs even less than that. Uh, his fantasy points per game the past three seasons, 15.9, 17.3, 15.4. That's great. That is, that, that's fine. I will take that as my RB2. The problem is Nick Chubb over the years has been drafted as like an RB1. He's been going in the top 10. And the reality is Nick Chubb does not have 20 fantasy points per game in his range of outcomes. Can't get there. Not happening. He does not have not a top five ceiling. Not consistent. Oh, so, he can yes. absolutely put up those 20 because for one point, we watched him put up like multiple 100-point games, like 100-yard games in a row, in a row, and just rattling them off. It's just he's not going to consistently average that 20-plus because he's not getting the targets. He's only averaged like 1.8 targets per game when both those guys have been healthy. Exactly. And if you, if you think about how a running back gets 20 fantasy points per game, if you're not scoring multiple touchdowns, it's not possible without receptions. You can't get there. I mean, yeah, of course, you, of course, the best running backs can get a 150-yard game. That Those things happen. Of course. But, but if you're talking about an average of someone who's going to give you 70, 80, 90 rushing yards, you can't get to 20 without catching passes. And Chubb, I just at, at 27 years old, he's not going to suddenly become this great receiver. You're getting 16 points per game. I will certainly take that as my RB2. But every year, it seems like Chubb goes higher than he should based upon where his ceiling actually lies. Yeah, Uh I'm kind of with you. For me, it's he's when I look at my rankings, it, it's kind of like the same thing with like with the quarterbacks. There are the ones that are, I think are great runners and great pass catchers. Then you get to the guys who I think are just some of the best pure runners in the NFL. And so I have a hard time putting them ahead of the guys who I think can do both. And that's kind of where Chubb is sitting right now. I think he's a fantastic runner. I love the, the floor that he brings to my team. He's just not bringing a ton of upside. I think no one would be surprised if Nick Chubb had 1500 rushing yards this year. But we would be surprised if he had 30 receptions, which is a very weird thing to think about for a running back. Normally, it's the other way around where we're thinking, hey, yeah, 30 receptions, cool. But if he got a 1,500 yards, oh, my God, he blew the roof off and was an RB, was the RB1 on the season. That's not the case for Nick Chubb. There's horses for course. He fits in perfect for what the Cleveland Browns want to do. But we got to figure out what the Cleveland Browns want to do once they get the personnel figured out. As we were kind of talking about earlier, is this the best RB one-two punch in the NFL? It's up for debate. I know Kyle Brandt over there at Good Morning Football, he leans on this one and says that the Denver Broncos might happen. This actually leads us to Javante Williams, the guy that fantasy managers absolutely love and despise Aaron Gordon for. I'm sorry, uh, Melvin Gordon, because they want Javante Williams to be loose. And look, I'm the same way. I want this guy to have a backfield all to his own. I think he is an incredible running back. He was a bowling ball coming out of North Carolina did fantastic last year in this truly dead even 50-50 split where both him and Melvin Gordon had 203 rushes apiece. Gordon just nipped him in the rushing yards. Javante Williams had the passing. Well, in the offseason, that whole free Javante Williams train kind of fell off the tracks when Melvin Gordon decides he comes back to Denver despite wanting to be publicly and saying a lead back for a team. For me, at value... I'm going to be drafting Melvin Gordon far more times than Javante Williams in 2022. I love Javante Williams. I love what he brings, but I think this is still going to be another committee again. 
I think by putting him here, you're banking on the upside of Javante Williams and what should be a high-powered offense with Russell Wilson. You've got a healthy court and sudden. Jerry, Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, Albert O. I love what this team can do. You upgraded the defense even. Um, so I think with Javante Williams, I think he can be great on this team, especially getting more of that, that pass catcher role on this team. And it's honestly one of the reasons that I'm a little bit lower on Albert O is because I think the running backs do get their own fair share. But I don't see this being the Javante Williams show that everyone has wanted it to be. Therefore, I am a little lower on him than the consensus coming in here uh, in our running back rankings. Give me your thoughts on Javante and this kind of whole backfield dynamic too. I feel the same way as you. I love Javante Williams. We saw what happened last year when he had his chance to be a three-down back. He played 80% of the snaps in that Week 13 game against the Chiefs. And he was the overall RB1. And that's that's what he can do. That is his ceiling. And if Melvin Gordon gets hurt, wherever you took Javante Williams, it was too low. And you're gonna have a, a, a league winner there. Are you willing are you willing to what I feel is overdraft him on the hope that Melvin Gordon does get hurt and you get that Javante Williams? Because if Gordon doesn't get hurt, he's been remarkably durable over his career. You're, you're looking at something very similar to last year. There's no doubt, no doubt, Devontae Williams will be the lead back this year. It, he's going to be the 1A. But I think it's a 1A, 1B type thing. This is not a starter backup situation. This is not Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison. This, this, is, this is two running backs sharing a backfield. This is going to be 55-45, at, maybe at best 60-40. And unless you're getting 80-20, you're not getting the RB, RB1 numbers. Uh, so Devontae Williams, I love the player, but... Um, until his ADP starts to starts to drop a little bit, where I hope it does, and he becomes more draftable, I'm probably going to be a little bit out at the current price. Yeah, I mean, if something happens in Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams becomes the league winner that everyone wanted. Last year, despite being 15th in carries, he was number five in force missed tackles. He was number seven in yards in uh, rushes of 10 yards or more, and number seven in yards after contact. Like, the guy was incredible. In weeks 12 through 14, like as you alluded to, we got a glimpse of what he could be when he averaged 20.4 PBR points as the lead back. We would love nothing more than to see Javante Williams be this guy, but I think right now he's being drafted with people still very much neglecting the impact of Melvin Gordon's return on this team. And for me, I think it's a little, I don't want to say foolish of right now, but I think it's being a little too overly optimistic of Javante Williams. Um, like I said, for me, in all of my drafts, whether it's a normal 1QB draft in the 8th or the ninth round, or if in a super flex draft in the 10th and the 11th, Melvin Gordon has wound up on, I'd say 90% of my teams as my RB four, roughly. I can't think of a better value at the running back position than, than Melvin Gordon. And that does come at the cost of some Javante Williams upside. Coming up next for us is a guy that's going to have upside, but how much is there on what's going to be a bad team? Number 17 for us in our rankings, David Montgomery, that RB1 for the Chicago Bears, who had one hell of an ending to 2020 when he was the number four running back overall when Bill Lazor took over play calling duties. In 2021, ends up as the RB19 despite missing four games, rushed 225 times, just under 850 yards with eight touchdowns. Um, it's the second year in a row where Montgomery had over 75% of the running back snaps. The issue for me on this team is this is not going to be a good offense. If anything, this might be even worse than it was last year. And I think one of the problems is, too, is the Justin Fields aspect. From week 6 through 14, when Justin Fields kind of took over and really established himself as a starter for the Bears, 
He rushed 70, I'm sorry, 52 times for 361 yards, putting on pace for over 126 carries and almost 900 yards in 17 games. Like that's rarefied air for a quarterback, but that had an impact on David Montgomery. In the five games without him, Montgomery was averaging 20.4 rushes, 5.2 targets, and 96 yards for 19 PPR points per game. That's 20, that's 323 points on a whole season. In those eight games with Fields, he was averaging just over 15 carries, 83.8 yards, and 13.4 PPR points. That's a difference of like an entire 17-game season of going from 323 points to 228. That's an alarmingly different split where he takes him from the RB12 all the way down to the RB13 in PPR points per game. So for me, it's, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? Because despite him being number seven in expected fantasy points, he was one of the least efficient running backs of 100 plus touches at minus 2.06 fantasy points over expectation. In fact, he's yet to finish the season with a positive FPOE. So I think for me, it's, do you believe that David Montgomery, where the volume of this offense can kind of come back and hey, the regression, the that whole positive regression term everyone loves, right? I, that's I'm saying that facetiously. Everyone hates positive regression. It's a stupid sentence, but it's a thing. It's we we use it. So do you think he can finally be efficient? If he can be efficient, the volume is there for David Montgomery to be RB10 on the season. Or do you think he's going to be inefficient? on a bad team that's going to lack red zone carries. And so while the floor is there, he's probably never going to be higher than a low end RB two for fantasy football with just a somewhat stable floor to the volume. Where do you fall cats on the whole David Montgomery debate? Do you love him this year? Do you hate him? Is the ceiling there or is this kind of more of a, a placeholder spot where you think he's more than likely going to disappoint in 2022? One of the catalysts behind my decision to solely uh, push Saquon Barkley up was, well, if I want inefficient volume, I'd rather get it from someone like Saquon, who's like supremely talented than Montgomery, yeah. who, who I think is kind of just okay. And as much as we may not like Saquon's offensive situation, I mean, like you said, look at Montgomery's. In addition to this offense being weak as a whole, they did nothing to address an offensive line that gave Montgomery just 1.4 yards before contact last season. And that led to his, his inefficient 3.8 yards per carry. Montgomery may be a lock for 350 opportunities, but what is he going to do with them? If, if he's only mm-hmm. turning 300 carries into 3.8 yards per carry, then we're getting 1140 yards, which that's a fine season. But for fantasy, we need, we need receptions and we need touchdowns. And yet he may rack up some receptions, but not as many with fields as he would with, with any, with any Dalton. And then where, how is he scoring touchdowns? How is his team scoring points? There's a chance that this offense scores like a total of 25 touchdowns on the season. I mean, that's a real possibility. Yeah, it's this is not going to be a good offense. And despite that whole uh, Twitter meme that we see every time when Dave Montgomery comes up, they put on TV when he was doing <laughs> Iowa State where he had the feet of Saquon Barkley, the vision of Le'Veon Bell, the strength of Ezekiel Elliott, and the I love this one, the athleticism of Sony Michelle. That's because it was that accurate. Be, because it was accurate. Never be put together <laughs> in the same sentence. Like, I'm sorry, David Montgomery isn't this Frankenstein running back. I, I think he's good. I do think he's a talented running back, but he's just in a bad situation. So for me, I have a hard time putting too much faith in David Montgomery. Like I said, if I want inefficiency, I'll take a shot on someone who I think has a good chance to really outperform that with a Nick Chubb. And speaking of someone who was inefficient last year, RRB18. That's Cam Akers. Um, this is like similar with Saquon Barkley. I think you're in or you're out based off the injuries. Volume will always be there. 
Cam Akers, when he finally kind of took over that backfield out of that Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown kind of three-headed trio, he really took off multiple games of over 800, over over 18 rushes per game. And even last year when he finally comes back from a torn Achilles, like he won last year just by getting back on the field. What he did in the playoffs, I don't necessarily care. Like I know it's a weird thing to say. Like I don't care about production on the field. For me, he won by getting back out there because he still had to face Tampa Bay. He had to face San Francisco. He was facing these best teams. So, like I wasn't surprised he struggled. The entire Rams team struggled. So I think for me, you're just banking on the fact it's going to be a high-powered offense with a Cam Akers who's now going to probably be in the best situation he has been going back to his days at FSU and finally behind a good offensive line for once. Because Florida State Seminoles' offensive line is hot garbage. Has been since he was still there. So I think for me on this one, you're banking on the, hey, hopefully that explosiveness is now back over a full year recovered from the from the Achilles. Are you worried, Cats, about where Cam Akers is going to be this year? Because if he's healthy, we know Sean McVay wants to want a single running back out there, and no one would stop Cam Akers in this offense. Where do you kind of fall on him this year? I really, ha- I know you said you're either all in or all out, but I really haven't rendered a verdict yet, and, and I kind of, and I know I need to because it, it's super important. Well, I guess we, I say we, you're either all in or all because I'm, I see what happens like on Twitter and like in the fantasy media industry, to where it's 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 all hard lines. Like no one can actually take like a middle of the road opinion. So it's always had like this 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 uh, overarching like idea where like okay, it seems like everyone's either all out or all in. You can certainly the, be in the middle. Right. And that, that's, that's kind of where I fall. I know we actually have him ranked in the exact same spot. And, and it almost do. feels like we're, we're kind of hedging our bets because the reality is if we going into last year, I was all in on Cam Akers and I had him like ranked like, like RB9. I was, t- I want to take him in the first round. And, and I was by all accounts, yeah, uh, that would have been, uh, and we were confident that he would have produced. So the, so it's really as simple as this is did, will Cam Akers get his explosiveness back? Cause if that returns, because it certainly wasn't there in the playoffs, but again, like you said, five and a half months removed from a torn Achilles, I don't expect it to be there. Like he got no. back on the field. That was the win. Now, full off season to recover. Is that explosiveness back? If it is, then how is the lead back in the Rams offense that's going to be one of the one of the tops in the league in scoring not going to be productive? And because Cam going to be busier than a fox in the hen house. Like that guy's <laughs> going to get all the touches he can handle. They don't. They don't. They don't do committees. Whether it was Todd Gurley, Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle, it's one guy. They, they, they one ruined guy Todd Gurley's knees because they wouldn't run a committee. Yeah, they certainly, certainly didn't help. Certainly didn't help. So, no, so it, comes, it comes down to it comes down to what to what you believe in terms of Cam Akers' um, mm-hmm. health. And I, for me, I'm I'm kind of trying to hedge my bets until we see him possibly play in the preseason. Although he may not, because Sean McVay is a very very smart head coach in never playing any starters in any preseason game, just like all the coaches should do. Don't get my players hurt in games that don't matter. I love to see Cam Akers, though, to see what he can do. Maybe we'll get a glimpse in training camp and try to glean something from that. But if, if, we're, if we're flying blind, it's going to be a really important uh, evaluation to make because because Cam Akers is not finishing as a mid-RB2. He's finishing as a, as a, a mid-to-low RB1, or he's finishing as like an RB4. I don't see any middle ground here. Yeah, because I mean, like, after like the five-carry tune-up game in Week 18... Akers rushed 60, 67 times for 172 yards in his four playoff games. That doesn't sound a lot. That's 19.25 opportunities per game. The thing that's impressive about this is we all kind of look at the paltry 2.4 yards per carry. 95% of Cam Akers' rushing yards came after contact, less than six months after tearing his Achilles. That is superhero level kind of stuff that we have not seen since like 
Adrian Peterson coming back from his ACL. Like that's how special what he did was. Um, and so hopefully we kind of get a, a glimpse of that this year. Cause I really want to see what a healthy cam Akers can do in the NFL. And speaking of a healthy running back in the NFL, this is someone we have not seen yet. It comes at a number 19 in our rankings, Travis Etienne. All of the hype around Travis Etienne is on this receiving upside. This looks like a guy who could see 80 plus targets and kind of be that new can't that new um, um, Alvin Kamara for the Jacksonville Jaguars without Urban Meyer on this team. And we now go to Doug Peterson, go back to his time in Philadelphia. He wants to use a committee. So I think we probably still see that down here in Jacksonville with uh, a combination of him. I think we're probably going to see maybe a little bit of Snoop Connor in here, especially in the red zone. He's kind of that bruising kind of style. And they're going to get James Robinson in, who's been one of the best UDFAs in recent history. So I think he's been one of the best storylines. But Travis Etienne, I think, is the running back who we're all kind of pegging to be that, okay, if someone is going to break out, Travis Etienne kind of looks like that guy because that was his profile when he was at Clemson. Like Travis Etienne was the explosive playmaker for Dabo Sweeney and for Trevor Lawrence. Like this was what he did. And that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars desperately, desperately need on this offense. When he was at Clemson, he led the NCAA with 55 runs of 20 plus yards or more in his four years on those explosive plays. He generated 21 touchdowns and rushed for over 2000 yards, averaging 37.3 yards per carry. He also has six receptions of 30 yards more, giving him 61 total explosive plays since 2020 the Jaguars as a team have just 31 of those same plays last in the NFL so you're telling me I can get Travis Etienne a healthy Travis Etienne getting him the ball in space from his former quarterback at Clemson Trevor Lawrence in an offense that has more playmakers than I think people want to give it credit for granted we don't necessarily know all the pegging one but there's honestly quite a bit of talent on this roster between Christian Kirk LaVisca Chenault, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones. Um, you brought in Evan Ingram. You've got Dan Arnold on this team, who, quite frankly, I think probably ends up leading this team and turning the tight ends. We'll get to that at a different point because everyone's still leaning on Evan Ingram. But honestly, I think Travis Etienne, he's in a good spot. If you're in a PPR league, I love the upside. But as always, Cats, there is a risk to a running back who you've never seen on the NFL before coming off a serious foot injury. It's weird because I'm kind of like more okay with Travis Etienne and some of the guys we have ranked ahead of him. But at the same time, despite how much I think we both like him, I don't see his ceiling as being like like anywhere top eight or ten. I just don't see that possibly happening. Yes. So that's kind of why I'm a little bit that's kind of why we haven't ranked where we haven't ranked. But I think he's time, ranked appropriately. I think there's I'll value agree. baked into his ADP. That, I, I was about to say that exactly, which is I don't really see him finishing much lower than where he's ranked. Like so let, let's say let's say we have him ranked where we do right now, which is at nineteen. And I think worst case scenario, he's a low RB two, which is which is right where we're taking him. Fair. So in that case, he's a pretty safe pick. And despite him not having that elite upside, because I don't think the touchdown upside is there, I don't think he's going to ever be a guy who's getting you know fourteen carries a game or anything like that. But but he can he can still he can still get there with with the receptions, and you know his price should still score up maybe five or six touchdowns, and he can get to a high RB two, low RB one. That that's that's upside. That's movement. That's that's a positive return on your investment with a floor pretty close to where you're drafting him. So it makes him somebody that that I that I like a lot, despite not having seen him on the field. And, and I think I think that he's fully recovered from the Liz Frank injury because he suffered it in the preseason. So he's had he's gonna have he's gonna have a full year before he plays in a regular season game. 
And by all accounts, James Robinson's going to start the season on the pup list, or at the very least miss the start of the season. And then he's coming back from, from a torn Achilles himself. His explosiveness may not be there. And there's, there's nobody else. The only other guy that drafted was Snoop Connor. This is their backfield. So I think I think they're they're all in on ETN as their as their primary back, and there's there's a high floor here, and there's a, there's a decent enough ceiling to make him worth drafting. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I look at ETN, I see a guy with a thousand to like eleven hundred total yard upside, like seven to eight touchdowns, and roughly two hundred and thirty five to two hundred and forty total opportunities. But I think where his value is going to come is going to come through the targets. And for me, with those meaning about three times more in terms of fantasy points and full PPR leagues, I think this is where Travis Etienne, the value of him is kind of baked in right now into his ADP and into his rankings. Um, come up here, uh, coming out into our uh, RB20 on here, we'll kind of fly through the rest of these because there's some question marks on a lot of these guys, and we don't want to make this podcast go far too long. Number 20, Antonio Gibson. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out where I fall on Antonio Gibson this year. Um, because I want him to be that RB one. Like, I think that upside is there. Cause we go back to like in, in 2020, like the guy scored seven touchdowns on 55 Terry's between weeks nine through 12. So we know that was unsustainable, but we know the opportunity is there. We'll go back to last year through weeks one through eight. He was RB 18 in fantasy, but then over the back half of the year, he was the RB six averaging 16.7 points per game. But that was because J.D. McKissick in Week 12 sustained a concussion, did not return. This allowed Antonio Gibson to kind of take a stranglehold on the backfield and, most importantly, the receiving work. From Week 12 on, Antonio Gibson averaged eight point, I'm sorry, 4.8 targets per game, along with 17.3 rushes. That gave him 19.5 total yards per game and 17.4 PPR points per game. That's a significant increase. The problem with this is like J.D. McKissick. He spurned the Buffalo Bills and elected to re-sign with Washington. So that all of a sudden puts Antonio Gibson back into this little bit of a, a question mark in terms of what his receiving role is going to be, despite that being what he was so good at in Memphis. Well, he only had like 33 carries. Like He was known for a as a receiving role in college. So between J.D. McKissick coming in, then you bring in Brian Robinson, who I think is just going to be annoying. Like, I don't think Brian Robinson's that good of a running back in terms of like NFL NFL caliber guys. I think he's a depth piece, but he's going to be annoying in the red zone because he is a he's a power back. He's going to put his head down and put it right in your chest. Add in Washington kind of being a bit of a slow pace and a slow team in terms of tempo. And I'm a little worried on Antonio Gibson this year. What are your thoughts? Very similar. For a while, I kind of pushed back on the notion that Brian Robinson would matter, but this this is just going to matter in the red zone, which is where it's so important. Yeah, there's just too much noise to ignore, and and it, it doesn't take much because Gibson already is completely losing the receiving work to JD McKissick. And yeah. So if if we have if we have a early down back who doesn't even have that role fully, and who's not getting all the goal line touches, then that upside is really hard to come by. So as of right now, um. Um, what's the word? What's the opposite of cautiously optimistic? Cautiously pessimistic on on Antonio Gibson, where I'm erring on the side of probably not drafting him. But we'll have to see how how far his ADP falls. But it's been tumbling, and if it gets low enough, I mean, this guy's a talented running back. When you get into you get into the mid to late twenties, at that point, I'll take a shot at anyone with upside, and certainly nobody has the upside that Gibson does in that range. So if he if he gets that low, then I'll be I'll probably be back in. But we got to see where he ends up. Uh, you know, it's, it's still early July right now, and we'll see what things look like in a month and a half or so. 
Yep. I know the guy's been falling here a little bit, but I can see him kind of rising up towards as drafts get a little closer. That's me, RB21 and J.K. Dobbins. Um, let's kind of, first before we kind of go, let's go over his stats from last year. Let's start with his rushing stats. Um, oh, yeah. He he had none. Um, okay, let's let's go to his receiving. Oh, shoot. Uh, yeah, he had none of those also because, once again, J.K. Dobbins was fell to the pain that was the Ravens' injury luck last year, suffering a season-ending injury before the season even started back in the preseason, uh, tearing his ACL. He was not the only one. Gus Edwards also had a season-ending injury, as did uh, Justice Hill, the uh, RB3 for the team. I think Dobbins was he was poised for a breakout. I don't think any question about that. Finished first in yards per carry during his rookie during his rookie season at six point. I think that was always going to regress a little bit because but this is a Ravens team that the volume of the rushing game is always there. It just wasn't there last year because they didn't have a running back. When you're running uh, Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray and Le'Veon Bell and Tyson Williams, you're not going to run the ball quite as much when you have a former MVP, a quarterback. Like with that said, those running backs, those like, but just between Murray and Freeman, they combined for 15 RB3 performances, which were top 36, eight RB2 outings, and four games as an RB1. For Le'Veon Bell, I'm sorry, for Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman to pull that off, that just goes to show how conducive this offense is to what a running back can do. Uh, last year, Devonta Freeman led this backfield with 42 targets, which was the most for a Ravens running back since 2018. If we think that trend might continue, all of a sudden J.K. Dobbins hitting that 30 to 35 reception range, that's a noticeable boost to his weekly output for a guy who is just barely 23 years old. I think there's a high upside for J.K. Dobbins. It's just that whole injury concern of a guy missing due to a season in the injury. How does he come back the next year? I think the Ravens will go back to that rushing kind of focus thing with J.K. Dobbins being the lead guy. Do you think J.K. Dobbins is a guy for you, Cats, who could likely rise in rankings as we get close to August? I'm torn because in the history of the Lamar Jackson-led Ravens, no running back has ever seen greater than 50% snap share. In fact, no one's ever even hit 15%. Mark Ingram just barely missed it in 2019. Dobbins is going to be their lead back, but Gus Edwards will be heavily involved. This is probably a 50-40-10 type split with whoever their RB3 is. I mean, the three previous years up and going into last year, he had three straight years of 133-plus carries and 700 yards, and they gave him a contract extension. They like Gus Edwards. Exactly, and he's not just going to disappear. And he, he's they're, they're going to share goal line work, and they're going to share early down work. And Dobbins just going to be he'll have a little bit more. He'll be a little bit better. I know people want to draw a parallel to 2019 Mark Ingram, but it doesn't really work because Ingram caught five touchdowns on just 29 targets. That's how Ingram got into that RB one area. That's probably not going to happen. And even if it does, we can't bank on it. And that's kind of what it would take for Dobbins to be an RB one. Now again, he's not being drafted there. He's still being drafted as like a mid to low RB two in that range. Yeah, I absolutely like him. And in fact, the the low, the mid to low RB two range is exactly where I like the two down grinders for touchdown upside. So so from that. From that angle, I, I'm, I'm in on Dobbins, but again, this one is going to come down to price and come down to who's who's available around him. I fear that that in the spot where we need to take Dobbins, I'm going to lean toward receivers. Yeah, I think it's me. And that's one of the things where you kind of need to know how your draft goes and kind of know where the sweet spots are, where you kind of don't want to be targeting a certain, per, a certain position where you do. I think more than likely, if you're looking at the rest of the draft, I'm probably not looking at that J.K. Dobbins in that range. I'm looking at receiver because that's a great spot in the draft to be looking for receivers. Coming out number 22 for us, that's going to be Josh Jacobs running back for the Las Vegas Raiders. And someone we've actually already talked about um, when we were kind of talking about the 
running backs or, or sorry, dynasty players who are kind of looking at selling high. Josh Jacobs was actually one that we considered to be selling high. Like, I think this guy is a very good running back. Don't get me wrong. I think he's been solid since he came in. Um, last year, still finished as the RB12 in PPR scoring despite losing some carries. He pulled it off because of targets. He got 64 targets last year, which was ninth amongst all running backs last year and was a new high for the former Alabama product. But with the Raiders having already declined his fifth year, you've got Kenyon Drake, who hopefully should be healthy. You bring in Zamir White, who, quite frankly, I love Zamir White. I think he was fantastic. The only question with him was just his ACL injuries. And they have Josh Jacobs himself coming out and saying, I don't want to be a one-man show. That's a direct quote. Came from Josh Jacobs before he started the Week 7 game against the Eagles. My body don't want this to be a one-man show. Like He tells him, like, incorporate him. When he was saying that, he was talking about Kenyon Drake to incorporate him more in the offense. And that's been stated more throughout this entire offseason, too, about Josh Jacobs saying that the Raiders want this to be more of a committee approach. He does not want to be the pure guy because he kind of knows the wear and tear that brings onto a body. So when I have a running back saying the same thing, I have the team saying the same thing. As much as I love the volume Josh Jacobs has seen, because go back to uh, last year, recorded 269 rushes, that jumped to 273 going back to 2020. I have a hard time wanting to dive into Josh Jacobs this year. Maybe that's just me. I It's just a probably guy I'm probably not going to have a lot this season. Yeah, I, I've, I've never been a big Josh Jacobs guy just because... Production was like, always there, though. It was. And from, from a fantasy perspective, he, he, always, he always produced. I mean, 14.7, 15.4, 15.1 fantasy points per game in his three, NFL, three seasons in the NFL. On a season-long level, he's been remarkably consistent. My, yes. One of my problems with him is just I, I never saw the talent. And that was that was that kind of drove me away from him. And I know that I shouldn't think that way because like he's he's at least replacement level at bare minimum, and that's all you need to be able to produce when you get volume. And he gets the volume, and he's he's proven producer. So that that may be an error on my part, uh, but regardless, this type of production that he's had, it's it's useful for sure. And especially uh, last year and now again this year, based on his price, no longer being in those first two rounds, you don't have to pay as much, so you don't need him to be that. Uh, 16, 17 points per game guy, which you know you're probably not getting anyway. The thing is, how much volume will we see from him this year? The Raiders declined his fifth-year option. He's not part of their long-term plans. I think we can confidently say he's not going to be there next year. They, they, as you mentioned, they drafted Zamir White. Are, are There's one of two ways this could go. I know Jacob said he doesn't want to be a one-man show, but the Raiders may just not care. They can run him into the ground in his final year and cut him loose. Or they could just phase him out because he's not going to be here long-term. And which way that goes, if it goes in one of those ways, it will be heavily uh, predictive as to how he performs this season from a fantasy perspective. Uh, my my early thoughts are it's probably going to be more of a committee. I, I think that uh, that in the fantasy community, no one's really talking about Kenyon Drake and because he got hurt last year and they drafted Zamir White and everything. But I really do think Drake's going to be that passing down back again, and he's, he's going to be that RB2 most likely. And could he get more work than he got last year? Could he be more involved with a new regime? Very, very possibly. And if, if we're not getting that volume that we've gotten with Josh Jacobs, he's going to have a hard time getting to where he has been in terms of his average uh, fantasy points per game every year. And we need him to be at least where he's been, at least that 14.7 number, to, to be worth drafting. And I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to get there. So I'm, I'm more, more out than not on Jacobs. But again, everyone at the right price. Yeah, I mean, the question with Kenny Drake is, look, the guy didn't practice yet at Raiders minicamp. It remains to be seen whether or not he'll be ready for training camp. But when he's healthy, he joins, absolutely, he joins his Raiders backfield, and we'll see how good he can be, whether or not he can be that same one when he came over from the Miami Dolphins to Arizona, kind of lit it up. 
Um, but if not, I think we can see either Josh Jacob. I think we see Brandon Bolden also kind of be that receiving kind of style back. If they don't have Kenyon Drake, they also added Amir Abdullah to this backfield too. So they definitely do have some options that are here if Kenyon Drake is unable to go. Um, I know for me, he comes, came in a little higher. I don't think you have Brees Hall coming here next at 25. I've got Brees Hall at 22. I think this is an interesting offense. As much as we loved Michael Carter last year, I think more than likely Michael Carter takes the role of the Ty Johnson and um, Tevin Coleman role, and Brees Hall is going to be that pure number one. Brees Hall, best running back coming out of college. He'd been the RB1 of this class for like the last three years. Set an FBS record with touchdown in 24 straight games, fourth in the nation in all-purpose yards, 147.2 yards per game. And then he went on to run like a, a sub-4-4-40 and ran the best-in-class 40-yard vert. Still just 20 years old. He's got the prototypical size, 6'1", 215. And the guy can also catch the ball. Uh, 59 catches on 66 targets. Four t- uh, sorry, just under 500 yards and five touchdowns. I Despite the running backs don't matter whole kind of thing, the Jets draft him at 36 for a reason. I think under Robert Sala in this kind of offense, they want a running back who kind of fits that wide zone who has great vision, but also has enough burst to kind of hit some of those lanes. I think for me, he absolutely fits this. And the Jets kind of need some addition help on this team alongside with Michael Carter, um, who looked great. Like He was honestly the only running back who was able to get anything done on the ground against Tampa Bay for quite some time. Um the the tug the quality of the touches will always be a bit of a concern in New York. But for me, I'm just kind of looking at overall volume and just talent of a player. So for me, I actually do have Brees Hall being ahead of Michael Carter this year. I think it's get to a different question. We're talking about the second year player versus the rookie at receiver between Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. I think a running back though, Hall does um upset Michael Carter, put him more towards a satellite style role, let him be that what he was at North Carolina, where he was that number two option behind to Javante Williams. I think it can be the exact same thing here in New York. Do you have any thoughts on uh, on Brees Hall from before us this year? I'm not opposed to ultimately moving him up because in general, I do like rookie running backs, especially ones that are as talented as Brees Hall. Yeah. My, my reluctance early on is while I do think Brees Hall is unquestionably going to be the lead back and the lead runner, I do think Michael Carter is going to be the primary passing down back, even though Brees Hall is a very capable receiver. I just feel like they're not going to completely get rid of Michael Carter and, and just kick him to the curb. He, he's going to have a role, and I think this might be enough to cap a uh, Hall's upside. And yeah, and I'm not for me. I'm I not, just think I think he ends up taking all the volume that Ty Montgomery and Tim Coleman had. Wrap that up into one player. It's it's very possible. It's if, if not likely. It just I I need I need to feel more confident about Brees Hall uh, getting enough receptions and also the touchdowns. Because th- yeah. this offense now all of a sudden has has a lot of a lot of talented players on it, and mm. especially in the passing game. And we 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 need Zach Wilson to take a step forward, and we need the offense to just be better and score more points. Because if, if they're constantly trailing and playing catch up, then we're going to see a lot of the touchdowns come through the air. And we need them we need them to have a chance to give them to Brees Hall on the ground. I do think he will be the primary goal line back, and I think we, we need we need to project him to get to like at least seven to eight touchdowns for me to feel confident ranking him any higher than like the low twenties. It's kind of the whole thing like with David Montgomery, a great running back with, with a uh, volume that might just struggle for touchdowns on a bad offense. It's kind of a similar thing, but I think the jets are miles ahead of where the Chicago bears are as a franchise when it comes to where there are in their rebuild. Um, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And I, honestly, the same thing with the lions. I think the lions are also a year ahead. That's why I think the Chicago bears finished last in their division. Um, 
yeah, for us, that, that was Brees Hall. We already talked about A.J. Dillon, who came in at number 24. And just for being complete here, number 25 for us, because these are guys that we both had ranked at different spots. I had Elijah Mitchell. I know you were just outside on Elijah Mitchell at 26. I was a little higher on him. And then you were higher than me with Devin Singletary coming in at 26 for us. I'm lower on him. He's in the 30s for me. Uh, but just when you average things out, they still come back up. Do you have any thoughts you have on those guys? Or um, are you are you good on uh, Mitchell and Singletary? I think they're both interesting things. With Mitchell, it's does Kyle Shanahan commit to a single running back? If he does, Elijah Mitchell is going to smash. And can, can Devin Singletary hold off James Cook and can be only getting a primary rushing role be enough for fantasy value? Yeah, we've we've gone we've gone way over on this one, so I'm going to give you a couple couple quick hitters on each, and then and then we can you can take us home, Tommy. Uh, for Elijah Mitchell, it, it comes down to uh, he'll definitely be the lead back to open the season, but it comes down to what happens when he inevitably misses a game or two here. Does does someone else like Tyrion Davis Price or Jeff Wilson step into that role and then kind of just like, run I didn't with say it? Say Trey Sermon. Uh, I Trey Sermon should not be in the NFL. He's not good enough to play in the NFL. Simple as that. And then with with Devin Singletary. Uh, the reason I'm higher on him is because I just I love what he did at the end of last season. I mean, from weeks 14 through 18, he never scored below 14.9 fantasy points, which was higher than his best total over the first, first 13 weeks. That was a deliberate a deliberate move by the Bills to Singletary as their lead back. Yes, he was the RB one over that time frame in fantasy. The only guy that was yeah, behind was, him was Rashad Penny. Right, he was he was he was an elite RB one during that stretch. You said he was the RB one, and. And I don't see them just all of a sudden going, oh, well, you know what? James Cook's here now. James Cook is here now. He's going to be our lead back. No, no, no. Cook will take passing down work for sure. And that's why Singletary's not being ranked as an RB1. But I, he's still going to be the lead rusher. He's still going to get goal line carries. And that should be enough to put him into RB2 territory. And I can draft him as an RB3. And I really like that value right now. Unless something happens to change my mind over training camp in the preseason, I'm probably going to have a lot of Devin Singletary. Yeah, I think it makes sense. If you're kind of one of the guys that are running like a zero RB, hero RB kind of thing where you're, you're waiting on the position. I think Devin Singletary makes a lot of sense. Where everyone puts all their faith in James Cook, take the value on Devin Singletary. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for today's episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. If you enjoyed today's show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. It does It is greatly appreciated, and it does help the show grow. Also, continue to stay up to date with the latest news around the league by heading over to profootballnetwork.com where you can find the latest analysis on not only fantasy football, but breaking news around the league, college football, betting, and the NFL draft. Also, speaking of the draft, it is not too late if you want to, or sorry, it's not too early, I should say, late for some people uh, here in this company to start getting your mock drafts in. Head over to ProFootballNetwork.com slash mock draft and check out the MDS and start mocking the 2023 class and tell us how your favorite teams are going. Send us a screenshot of that over on Twitter. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can find Cats over at JasonCats13 and myself, Tommy Garrett, PFN, over on Twitter. Hit us up if you guys have any questions, any comments you guys want to have. We're always more than welcome to answer you guys' comments over there on Twitter. Uh, Speaking for Jason, I am Tommy. We will see you guys in the next episode of the show.